Welcome to the Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast, covering agriculture and all things related in East Carroll, Madison, Tinsall, Concordia, and Catahoula Parishes. Welcome to another episode of Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast. Well, we're at a meeting today. We're in uh, in Alexandria at the Dean Lee uh, the Evacuation Center. We're at the hemp meeting. Us and 550 of our nearest and dearest friends. Everybody wants to be in the hemp business. we got some really good speakers going. I mean, we're learning a lot. Uh, I think it's going to be a good meeting. I'm here with RL. Um, Kylie's not here with us. She's just had a baby Monday, so she had a little girl, so she's going to be out for a while. But we got a guest today we're going to talk to. We've got Dr. Michael Selassie. He is the Associate Vice President Program Leader for Plant and Animal Sciences, which is a mouthful. And we're going to let him, when we talk to him, he's going to tell you exactly what he's going to do and what he's doing, and we'll go from there. Dr. Selassie, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you all for having me. I'm glad to be here. And congratulations on your new position. Thank you. Uh, That's What exactly is your position? Let's just start with that. Well, I'm I'm taking over for uh, Rogers Leonard, who is going to be retiring in February, and fortunately I have a chance um, over these five or six months to work with him to kind of get a feel for what all he covers. This position, um, the title is Vice Associate Vice President and Program Leader for Plant and Animal Sciences. It pretty much covers all research and extension in the Ag Center in the areas of plant sciences, which would include agronomic row crops, horticulture, it also includes forestry and wildlife, as well as all the animal sciences. So it, it covers it covers a lot of areas. So you're our boss. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I'm your boss. <laughs> okay, well, so, so be nice to me. I'm gonna be, we're going to be nice. We're, we're, we're going to be nice today. We'll be nice today. Um, okay, now, all right, well, let's go. Let's start with some background. What, uh, I mean, you've been with the University of good good many years. So tell us what you've been doing and what your specialty was. I've been with the Ag Center for 25 years. I'm originally from Louisiana. Um, I got my bachelor's and master's degree at LSU in ag economics. Um, After I got my master's degree at that time, most people with a master's in ag economics, this this would have been around 1980, they were either going to be loan officers or chemical salesmen. I didn't want to do either one of those. So I worked a year on campus as a research associate in rice production economics and said, you know, I kind of like this crop research. So I went to Mississippi State and got a Ph.D. in agricultural economics. Um, on my thesis at LSU, I worked I did a study on the economics of, at that time, it was called supplemental irrigation for cotton and soybeans in northeast Louisiana. Um, irrigation was sort of a new thing up there. It, it, it's not near as common as it is today. Uh, and at, at Mississippi State, I worked on economics of rice production. Um, after school, I went to Washington, D.C. for nine years as an economist with USDA, um, most of what I did up there was uh, doing research on the, the financial structure of agriculture. What is, the, what is the income and expense structure of different types of farms across the country? Ninety-four, I came back to LSU as a crop production economist in the Ag Econ department, worked on uh, primarily rice and sugar cane, did a little cotton and soybean work. Uh, the last four years, I've been department head, and now I'm, I'm moving up uh, over in Everson in the Ag Center. 
Okay, now you brought this up, and, and we told you when we started we would prompt you along, you know, with questions. Well, we got a big question. You're a rice economist. What do you think of row rice? Um, I think I think it's a practice that that you know offers growers a, another opportunity. There are some challenges, and and, a, and that's a prime example of of why the ag center exists. New new practices come along, like row rice, or as we're learning today, new crops come along, like hemp. And our our responsibility in the ag center is to do research and extension that provides growers recommendations on how to optimally produce those kinds of crops. And so, you know, I think row rice, obviously, you know, in some instances can make it. I mean, Arkansas has has over a hundred thousand acres of it, and so I think I think once the the management practices are identified, it certainly has a place uh, in in production here in Louisiana. Uh, change gears on you there just a minute. You said something about some of your graduate work was in supplemental irrigation. It's kind of ironic. Dennis and I always refer to irrigation in northeast Louisiana still as a supplement versus, at least in the Delta area, to where on the ridge it's a necessity. But for us in the Delta, it's really still a supplemental to what we already have. Uh so that, that's glad to hear somebody else thinking in those same same terms as we are being. Oh yeah, back in the '80s when I was doing my thesis work on that, you know, irrigation in Northeast Louisiana was not as near as common a practice as it is today. But you know, you're, you're right; it is it is a supplemental practice, but but it is one. It's it's sort of like a, a lot of agricultural practices. Uh, you're going to spend more money per acre. To hopefully generate a higher return, and and so you really gotta you gotta look at it. it's true with any practice, you know what's what's the impact on your net return bottom line? Yeah, and that as an economist, you can relate to this or expand on it. That with what we're talking about was supplemental for us in the Delta, with the projects we've had in the past years with multi-year projects, most times we ever watered was three times. So that makes the the application of moisture sensors, uh, surge valves, all those things, especially moisture sensors, much more valuable so you irrigate at the right time. I mean, we figured up, now this is just RL and I doing it, kind of from growers, about between 11 and $12 an acre every time you fur irrigate. Is that something what kind of what you saw? Of course, I know it was a good while ago, but some kind of what you figure per acre cost? Yeah, you know, and that's like any practice, it's, it's important for growers to know every practice that they do, whether it's an irrigation application or a tillage application, what is that cost per acre? I mean, they need to know to make better management decisions. Uh, you know, I think one of the, and this was true back then, and it's certainly true now, is one of the primary benefits you know, in an area like northeast Louisiana or in any area for a crop that's not not required to be irrigated, like rice, for example, is not so much that you can irrigate and it'll increase yields, but it's in those years when you don't have enough rainfall. That it's it's like yeah. a it's yeah. like a, a cheap irrigation policy in a sense that can really prevent a bad crop in a dry year. Yeah, well, and and that's kind of where we saw out of five years. I think one year we didn't even roll pipe out. This was yeah. a multi-state project. We didn't roll pipe out. I mean, it's like, what do you do? I mean, it rains every day. Yeah. So now we've had your economist hat on. Let's <laughs> let's go back to being our boss hat. Um, what's your 
vision, I guess, or your what do you see for the Ag Center and your role coming forward with? Uh, and we're going to talk from row crop side because that's what the Ag side. That's what we want to hear about. You know, that's yeah. I think we're in a time now, and we we probably have been for the last I don't know ten years or so that you know agriculture is is really is really changing. You know, for years, for many years. Um, you know, probably maybe through the 60s, 70s, 80s, you didn't have major technological changes in, in agriculture. You had new, you always had new varieties. Production practice pretty much stayed the same. You didn't have a lot of change. But now, you know, we have all this new technology in agriculture. Uh, we have more uh, options for crops to produce, and and the equipment is getting more expensive. And so it, it's really important that, that the Ag Center uh, sort of embraces that change and finds how can we best serve our clientele, what research and extension activities are going to be useful to our clientele. And to me, that means not doing things the way we used to always do them. Some things, some things are not going to change, you know, um, for example, you know, rice production is an example where the production practices don't haven't changed as much as other crops. We have new varieties, we have new herbicide-resistant technologies, but you still have to flood irrigate. Those haven't changed. Mm-hmm. But but I think we need to look at at what are producers doing? How can we do research and extension that's going to help them stay in business and make a profit? And and you know, the Ag Center over the years has faced budget cuts, and, and my my position is I want to see us be effective at what we do, but also be efficient at what we do. Uh, and that means we need to be flexible on, on, on how we do things. If And what works in one area may not work in another area. So, you know, I, I think... I'm excited going forward, even though we have less people in the Ag Center than we used to. Our budget's not as great. You know, I think we have a lot of opportunity to serve our clientele. And, and to me, it's exciting to see to see faculty and agents, you know, willing to sort of step out of the box. And, well, we can do this better or more efficiently and better serve our clientele. Let's do it this way than just everybody doing the same thing like we used to. Well, and that's something that, that, well, that's something that we looked at as far as field days at the Northeast Research Station, which is where my office is. And then, um, of course, Ariel and I do a lot of stuff together, and we have stuff on the station. We, we've got some area. We're working on a row rice project together with Dr. Josh Copes. But we last summer, we had a row rice field day workshop, row rice and soybean. We had soybeans, too, because soybeans are extremely important and rotate with the row rice. And it was specifically targeted to those crops and it was all in one field and it was actually a walking tour uh, and we started at one end of this field and it was about 100 yards long 200 yards and we walked and talked and we had several different speakers we had a producer there um, Morel talked I talked uh, and and that seemed to we really drew a good crowd surprisingly uh, we were very pleased with the crowd we got we done all this in what three hours max yeah, two hours max. Two hours. Yeah, we were on in the, a half a day field day like yeah. we're traditionally. And nobody, right. nobody got on a trailer. 
Right, and I think that's the way we have to look at things going forward. You know, the crops that we produce in this state vary. Uh, the level of research in different disciplines that, that we're involved in crops vary. For example, you know, two crops that we are heavily involved in in breeding and developing new varieties in which the state's industry is heavily dependent upon is rice and sugar cane. And so they want to come to field days and see new varieties. In other crops, we're not as heavily involved in, in variety development. And so I think we do, you know, we have to be, we have to be relevant. We have to provide our clientele information they want to hear in a format and a time when they want to hear it. And so that means, for example, maybe taking what's been a traditional type of field day and changing to say, this topic is of interest this year. Let's do a field day on just that topic. Next year it might be something different, and we don't know right now what next year's topic is going to be, and that's okay. Well, that's, and that's, that's kind of where we went with the row rise because that was we've had a lot of – we had a – well, in 2018, in our intensile, well, I guess in all our Delta parishes, the five parishes we in, we had 3,500, 4,000 acres out of the 6,000. And so we, that's, we, we had a couple of workshops. We had one in Faraday and one in Lake Providence. Then we had, and we targeted just row rice. Then we targeted the field day. Had really good attendance there. Not sure what we're going to do this year, but we're we're always trying to look ahead as to what the growers are looking for, what information they want, and that sometimes is kind of hard. Yeah, and that's you know I think primarily an extension. You know, we want extension in general in the state as well as as all of our individual agents to to stay relevant, and that's that's not just a Louisiana thing. That's a challenge for the whole country. How, how does extension stay relevant going forward with all the information that, that growers have available to them from, mm-hmm. from, from uh, consultants, from the Internet, from companies? And so I, I think we have to sort of change the way we do things so our extension agents can identify what growers need and, and present that information to them in a timely manner in a way they want to receive it. And that may not be at a traditional type of field day. So, and I, you know, we need, we need to attract our growers to the information we have, and the only way we're going to do that is to stay relevant. Sustainability, that's a new catchword. We recently had a um, tour, cotton tour, come through Tensile Parish in Concordia, and it was a bunch of, there's a new mill in, in Vidalia, cotton mill, denim mill. And they're talking about buying local cotton, but they want to know these, these people come from all over the, well, they were from England and all over the United States buyers. And they're concerned with sustainability. And that sustainability leads to regenerative agriculture. You're hearing that term come up more and more. What are your thoughts on that? You know, not only over the last 10 or 20 years, not only has agricultural production technology changed, but from the buyer's perspective, the companies that are buying agricultural products, they're, they're appealing to their customers. And, and nowadays, more and more of their customers want to buy products that have been produced in a, quote, sustainable manner. And that's that's that is a movement that that is only going to get stronger as we go forward in time and that's why it's important uh, for entities like the ag center to help growers produce 
products in a sustainable manner. What does that mean? If, if you ask 10 people what does the word sustainable mean, you'd probably get 15 different definitions. And so our role in the Ag Center is to help growers obviously produce crops in a way that they can make a profit, but also do it in a way that's sustainable. You know, our master farmer is goes a long way in helping growers meet that need. And so now one of our major challenges uh, in, in research and extension is not just to produce better varieties, to produce a, a higher yield, but also to produce those crops in a sustainable manner. And that's going to help them on the market side sell their crops. Well, and that's with RL and I, with the GIS, precision ag data, we can track. And I think that's because you ask, I've asked growers, what do you think sustainability is? And they say, I'm sustainable. I'm still in business. And they're, you know, that's, that's why they're, they're not caught up on the word where the other people are. With precision ag, they're able to actually track that sustainability in those ways. I do think it's important for, for the agricultural production sector and Louisiana producers in particular to sort of get out ahead of defining this sustainability. What we, we don't want to happen is for growers to do nothing and then five or six years down the road the companies that are buying their products define sustainability for them and say this is what you're going to have to do if we're going to buy your product. I think we're much better served if the Ag Center can help growers do sustainable practices and we help document that these are sustainable. Again, the master farmer is a major a major player there. That sort of gives them a leg up on, on that sustainability challenge. Uh, this may not be a, a question of sort, but a follow-up of what we were just talking about. Uh, growers have got to get proactive to meet the, the demand of the consumer of what they're wanting with this sustainability, how they want their, let's just say, how they want their genes produced and grown. And if the producer doesn't adapt, they're going to be out of business. The same way us as extension the ag center we can't sit at the desk and wait for somebody to call and want to know what variety corn seed to plant next year and you know different the the old traditional what kind of chemicals there's a hundred other folks out there making those recommendations and using our information that's being generated at the research stations we've got to get out there and with the gis technology with irrigation technologies that other folks are not offering we've got to get outside the box just like the producer is i know that's not a question dennis but that's kind of a follow-up with what dr selassie was talking about i think it's going to involve not only us producers Mm -hmm. and goes back to my first graduate school class that we had when i went to work and you know extension agents are supposed to be the change agents but sometimes the biggest change we make is our chairs you know we, we go from one chair in the office to another we've got to get out front and throw out new ideas at producers and we're going to get laughed at and we're going to get shot down but one or two of them will catch you know most most of the recommended practices that that the ag center have developed over time you know in a general sense are sustainable i mean we we are obviously you know, as agricultural scientists, we're, we're cognizant of, of things like soil loss and, and uh, uh, pesticide runoff and those sort of things. So over the years, that's been one of the objectives 
of developing best management practices. I, I think so. It's not it's not so much a major change in in practice. It's just a change in focus of what you're emphasizing. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to spend. Yes, we need we need higher yielding varieties. We need growers to be able to cover their cost. We need them to be efficient with their operations, but we also need to help them focus on here's the here's the impacts on the environment of these practices as opposed to less sustainable practices and and just emphasize that the practices they are doing are in fact sustainable it is good for the soil it is good for the water etc okay since we're talking about that since you're coming in um in february whenever roger leaves i don't know when he's leaving I keep telling him he's a lame duck. You know, he just doesn't. You're just passing time. But whenever you, you're, we've got a new project in both Northeast Louisiana and South Louisiana, the Taylor Project. I know you're familiar with it. It's in Tensaw Parish, and the cover crops have been planted. Part of the field is going to be farmer standard. Part of it will be the BMPs you were talking about. And this, I'm, I'm hoping, and you can give me your ideas what you think it is. What my understanding is, this is going to be a a place where we can demonstrate all this and showcase this to different tours. What's what's your take? And it'll, and it'll be repeated in the sugarcane with Mr. Dugas. And we're also doing it on the station, too. We'll and have a small be, one on the station. Yeah, there'll be a small one on the station. What's, tell us what your idea, because this was a big project, you know. What's your feel and take on it? No, I think I think that's the way you sort of address that the sustainability issues uh, to to our our buyers of agricultural products you know it's just it's really no different than demonstrations plot we've had for years uh we're just highlighting and demonstrating recommended practices uh, growers adopt those practices these this taylor project is a high profile because we're getting a lot of other entities are signing on to support like sea grant and all these different uh mm-hmm. agencies that helps our argument uh, to the non-agricultural sector that, yes, in fact, the, the pr- practices that growers use are sustainable. We have research on them. We've documented it. Here's some demonstrations plot that show that. Here are the groups of, of entities that support and, and agree w- with that. And so, yeah, that's, that, those sort of things are going to go a long way to, to help our industry uh, educate the non-agricultural sector on, that we are producing sustainably. Okay. Uh, got one more question. Go Can ahead. I ask another question? Go ahead. I'll let you ask. Okay. Uh, are you familiar with 60-inch cotton? A little bit. We have, RL has a grower. He has the first grower in Louisiana that I know of. He had 10 acres last year in 2018. He had, I mean. Oh, it was something. I'm not exactly sure, but I'm going to say 1,000 plus. Plus right acres, eight hundred to a thousand. In Madison acres. Parish, I got a grower in Tinsaw that told me about a month ago he'll have probably a thousand plus or minus of sixty-inch cotton. What what do you think on it? I mean, we we used to all grow skip. I know you're familiar with mm-hmm. cotton, skip row cotton. You know, we used to grow skip row cotton. What do you think of sixty-inch cotton? I'm I'll gonna, put you on the spot. Here's an <laughs> economist. I'll put you because you know we're talking about. Seed savings, banding chemicals. Right. What do you think? Give us your opinion. You I'm think? an economist, so I'll I'll give you an <laughs> agricultural economist perspective. Uh, it's really no different than any alternative practice. You know what a grower 
what a grower needs to look at is what is his net returns per acre. Mm-hmm. And that that may or may, one practice that gives you the highest net returns per acre may or may not be the one that gives you the highest yield. Yeah. And so that's why, you know, as an economist, I always tell growers the most important thing you can do is to know what your production costs are. You can't you can't make good decisions if you don't know what your costs are. And the goal is to make a profit per acre. And so you can you can have uh, you can you can have a two thousand pound cotton yield per acre and make let's just say make twenty dollars an acre, mm-hmm. or you can have another one another field that uses different practices. The, the yield's only twelve hundred, but they're making a hundred dollars. So the the point the point of focus is is not now. Grant, I don't want to discount high yields; they are yeah. important, but you can't equate high yields and not know what your production costs are and assume you're doing the best thing. It's what your bottom line is. And that that's the goal, to identify what varieties to plant, what sort of row patterns, what sort of practices to use that's going to give you the highest net returns per acre, not necessarily, in some cases, the highest yields yeah. all the time. But well, you can't run to the feed store and brag about how much you made. <laughs> Well, you can on this because you're going to make four bales. He right. just said you're going to make four bales. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> you, you can, he was hypothetical. You could plan a little test plot for a yeah. high yield well, test plot to bring yeah, well, yeah. Right. And, but, but, you know, what, what I'm trying to say here, well, yeah, it's, a lot of, and, and Dennis and I have argued this with producers for years. You know, I made another fellow county agent mad one day when I told him I wasn't worried about yield. I was worried about profit. But their thoughts was yield always equates to profit, but it does not. I mean, you you can over-fertilize a crop and, and max out his yield and lose money. Exactly. That's, That's right. And and I think R.L., he told me first, and we talked this, we used to show it in every precision ag presentation we did. It was a slide, and it was, we are not, precision ag does not save you money. It makes you money because you put inputs in the place that they're needed. The right amount was the four R's, the right amount, right place, right time. Something. Right product. Right product. And that's the way we've tried to talk to growers over the year is with Precision Ag is we're looking at putting these places where they need, where you can make the most. You know, and, and those places that that aren't producing as much, well, we're just going to cut back some to make them profitable too on the whole field. Okay, so we've rambled down several roads here. Uh, tell us your final thoughts. Uh, what, you know, are you excited about coming, being our boss? <laughs> That's a loaded question. <laughs> well, I don't know. Well, I was going to ask him about a raise, but I didn't think that would be appropriate, you know. That would be real loaded. No, I, I really am. I, you know, I'm as a faculty member, I had a teaching research extension appointment, and I worked with two commodities, rice and sugar cane, that, that are, were pretty demanding. Out of all of the things that I did as a faculty member, you know, the thing I enjoy the most is working with the industry to do work that's useful to them. Um, I was in research. I had to get grant money and write journal articles. That's sort of a necessity. I got a much more pleasure out of working with the industry to do work that's useful to them. I think the Ag Center has a lot to offer. We have some great people that work in the Ag Center, and so, you know, I'm excited to to work with the industry on, on a bigger scale, uh, you know. And I, I view my role is, is 
is helping and supporting our faculty and agents to be successful. Well, well, we appreciate you and you're coming to work here in this new position. And probably what we'll do is about a year from now, we'll do this interview again. And we'll see what you say then. We'll see what yeah. it says. <laughs> and uh, invite you back to Northeast Louisiana anytime you yeah. feel comfortable or want to come see us. Uh, we enjoy having you in North Louisiana. Well, I do hope in this job, you know, it does cover a lot. And, and so I do, I do want to get out as much as I can. One of the frustrations is that, you know, sometimes people want me in three places at the same time. But uh, I, I, do, I do enjoy getting out, and I intend to do that as much as I can. Well, good deal. Thank well, you. we appreciate you being here and talking to us. And uh, I'm sure during the year at some point we'll talk to you again. Thank, so, thanks for having me. I thank enjoy you all. Okay, well, thanks, Dr. Celeste. That was a lot of good information. We're glad to have you in this new position, and uh, glad you were able to tear yourself away from the, the hemp conference uh, like we're all here for today. And we're picking up a lot of good information, a lot of opening information from this uh, new alternative crop that could be available in the state of Louisiana in the future. We have a tremendous turnout here, Dennis, for this today. What I think Dr. Richardson told me, we had over 500 folks that had uh, registered, and I believe every one of them is here today. So it's going to be interesting to see where this this new crop goes. But uh, they've been given a lot of a lot of eye-opening information to help them make some decisions with. Yeah, they had some really good speakers, some people who are actually growing it and marketing it, selling it, and so a lot of good information, not just university. We had some university speakers, but they also had plenty of actual producer experiences to uh, to go along, and they like producing stuff because that's real world. Those are the people that are doing it, and that's what... But at the standing room only, there was what I heard was over 550, so... Okay. Uh, well, I was trying to be conservative there. I knew it was over five, you know, because I knew they had told us early on they had actually had to shut down the online registration because they were knew they were reaching capacity for the that room yeah well it uh they had that worked out as a good meeting good information and we'll see where it goes from the future well i hope we can draw that kind of crowd for our digital ag meeting that we got coming up in january well that that's what we're hoping that's coming up january 23rd and it'll be at the evac center same place at dean lee and alexandria i think we're going to start about 8 30 in the morning or something like that we'll we'll have to send out the agenda when we get a little better handle on it speakers from uh university from lsu we've got a uh, dr Wesley Porter. He's vision ag engineer and he's an irrigation specialist. Uh, you and I have known him for several years. He's he's really good. He's sharp. Ought to be some really good some good information he'll come with. Uh, when we'll have the producer panel again. We've already got those guys lined up and to cover the three basic crops of you know right the southwest the rice the sugarcane and the row crop and they'll tell us what they're actually doing with it. The theme of this year is, is practical application of the precision ag data. So that's what we're looking at. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm looking forward to hearing that talk. I believe it's by Dr. Thanos on that computer learning. You know, as, as these computers are getting smarter and they're actually learning to almost think. Well, it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of funny. And, and he brought this up when I saw him give a presentation last week, I guess. And he asked him, anybody in there ever used machine ID? Are they familiar with it? Computer learning. 
Nobody said anything. Then he flashes up a slide that's got uh, Amazon, it's got Netflix, Facebook. He said, any of y'all on this? You've been there. If you're on this, you, you're yep. you. It was, yep. it was really good. But yeah, it's going to be a, it's going to be a practical application thing. So it's, it should interest a lot of people. Um, we're going to get somebody. And you're going to be talking on precision ag and using of uh, irrigation, you know, techniques, yeah. aren't you? Yeah, I'm going to talk about irrigation and uh, using sensors and some of the stuff like that that we can use to make it a, make us more efficient and cost productive. And that's the name of the game is cost productive, I think. So. Right. And, uh, we are going, you'll keep an eye out. You'll see on our Twitter and maybe our YouTube, you'll see a little, we're going to do a little video to uh, introduce it sometime probably in December, 1st of January. We'll be sending that out for people to see and become aware of it. Speaking of videos, do we need to go ahead and inform them about some other video plans we got coming up, hopefully for next week on some, yeah. on YouTube? Yeah, just tell her, yeah, everybody keep an eye out. We'll, we're planning on next week, we're going to do some more videos, uh, kind of like we've done in the past, be short, three, five minutes. Minute, six minute videos and we're gonna we're gonna cover cover crops but we're not just gonna talk about cover crops we're gonna talk about why we plant some of the different mix in some cases it's cereal rye by itself in some cases it's a three or four way mix depending on what crops gonna follow it Renata Davis is she's a PhD student here at the Northeast Research Station she's gonna be talking on that part and she'll talk about when to plant how to plant they got some uh, some summer crops following corn uh, she's got some really good information to talk about yeah um yeah well we think it'll make some really good videos you can actually see those cover crops growing right now mid-november and what they're going to look like yeah and and also we got dr uh daniel stevenson's coming up to the northeast station uh, next week and he's going to talk about winter weeds and the resistant ones we've got I know here we've got mare's tail, ryegrass. I can't remember what else. I'm drawing a blank here. All of a sudden, what else we got? Winter weeds that are resistant. But we've got we've got issues uh, with resistant weeds coming in for you know Roundup resistant coming in the spring. So we're looking at them coming up. What's coming up in the fields and seeing what maybe we can do now instead of waiting till February when they're eight inches tall or whatever and looking at some of that. So. Uh, it should be, he should have some good information and he'll be able to show, and it will even look at some of the more common weeds like henbit and uh, some of the swine crest, some of that stuff, shepherd's purse. Uh, we got some weed fields here on the research station we can be able to pick and choose from. Yes, uh, a lot of folks kind of have the misconception that the station is weed free and clean, pristine, and it is in places, but we do grow weeds so we can practice killing them or learn how to kill them that's right in fact most almost well not every year but every couple of years i know when when my wife worked here with the weed science they planted they'd get a 55 gallon drum full of weed seed and they'd go out and, and they'd plant them you know so they yeah. replenish their supply so they'd have some to kill but we try and keep it all restricted to certain fields but yeah. anyway, <laughs> it's uh it's but it, we do have a a variety to choose from so we'll uh We'll go forward from there, and uh, we'll see what he's got to say. And and with Daniel, you never know. We may get talking about peanuts. You never know. Who knows, you know? So. Who knows? You know, I need to go ahead and mention, too, before we forget it, uh, we got our annual Tri-State Soybean Forum coming up in Dumas, Arkansas, that first Friday in January, and I'm not looking at a calendar right now, but I think that's the third. That's right. Uh, and it does 
rotate. It's the Arkansas, Louisiana, and Mississippi Extension Service Joint Venture. Been going on for, oh, I want to think this is like the 64th, 65th annual one. So we've been doing it a long time. Uh, and it'll be in Dumas, Arkansas this year. And next year, it'll be back in Louisiana. So uh, you'll, you'll be able to hear soybean experts there from Louisiana, Arkansas, and Mississippi talking on a variety of topics. Good deal. Well, that ought to be good. We'll plan on going. So, All right. I think uh, that's pretty much going to cover everything for what we got for today. And uh, we're now, let me tell you all, we are kind of slowing down here with wintertime coming on. Um, you know, we don't have a lot of stuff going on in the field, so we're kind of slowing down as far as the frequency of our podcast. But we're, we're still, we'll still be around. If y'all, if y'all got anything you want to hear, you want us to talk about, just send us an email, give us a call. Uh, you have to call me and RL because Kylie, like I say, she's yeah. had a baby. She'll be out till the first of the year with with a newborn. So um, just you have to call us, but just send us something, and we'll we'll do a podcast. We don't, you know, we're we're flexible and we can do one pretty much any time. So. You know, and if we need to, we'll call her at home and get her on the podcast with us. Well, and we might you know, even do, though she's home with a baby. Well, and we might do that one day. Just you know, after a while, she's go, she's going to get kind of bored sitting there just changing diapers and feeding the baby. You know, so yeah, we'll, yeah. You know that the, the new will wear off of it after about a month. Well, it depends on how much she sleeps, but the new will wear yeah. off really fast if she doesn't sleep. Mine didn't sleep. That's and, true. You know, but but hopefully she's going to. She's a cute little baby i've seen a picture of her hadn't seen it but y'all just let us know something if you need something see y'all next time next time the louisiana delta crop podcast is produced by the lsu ag center extension service for more information visit the lsu ag center.com or contact your local extension office